You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple Film. I'm Steve. Yeah, I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailer and behind the scenes. And this week we're taking on a very special film that starts in Detroit and ends in Colorado. Aspen, Colorado. Top Gun? No, no. Wait, wait a minute. That's a voice. That's a voice we recognize. Who is that? Oh, it's just Brad here to talk about Top Gun again. Oh, man. You mean Top Gun on the ski scopes? Oh, yeah. Let's get to it. All right, Matt. What do we watch? You're watching a movie that seemed to kind of come late in the uh, Top Gun inspired or advertised as being inspired by Top Gun. But yes, part of definitely the ski sensation of the late 80s, early 90s. And we are watching Aspen Extreme. Play that trailer. In one square mile of snow, the beautiful, the rich, the famous, and the powerful come to escape. It's where the best skiers in the world challenge their skills. And it's the closest two friends from Detroit will ever get to paradise. What do you think? I think we'll be like the Beverly Hillbillies in that place. You read about movie stars and ski magazines, and you want to move here. She's staring at you like you're on the menu, T. Get out. They pay you to be ski instructors, right? Hope you guys are good. We're the best skiers on this mountain. Sorry, it's about 100 guys. Maybe two make it till spring. We will make it. I know you're good. I know you work hard. TJ's one of the new guys. I can tell. You got to be able to ski anywhere, anytime, from any condition. Hi there. My name's TJ. I'll be your ski instructor. I know. I hired you for the day. Part of the job is fulfilling a fantasy. I'm having some friends up to the house tonight. Would you come? And you're the fantasy. He's beautiful. Thank you. This chick's amazing, man. Amazing women are everywhere. Can I buy you a drinker or something sometime? I stopped dating ski instructors when I was 16. I just got here. Give it a chance. You better be willing to go all the way, baby. I like her, all right? Let that one get out, TJ. They'll take away your ski school uniform. She's different. This is Aspen. Things are always different. Skiing out of bounds is illegal, you know. Can you swim? Like a fish. <gasps> Were you with Bryce? Can I explain this? TJ, you'll fit right in, trust me. Take a look at yourself, man. Take a look at yourself! You're the best skier on the mountain. Skiing's the easy part, Carl. Hollywood Pictures presents Aspen Extreme. Dream big or don't dream at all, baby. Jesus, even the trailer's long. <laughs> that was something. Oh, I know. Uh, I mean, there's so many clips in there from the movie that just kind of like... I can visualize all of it. I mean, a lot of people have not seen this movie. A lot of people might not even download 
this uh, podcast because they're like, what's Aspen a scream? Or I remember that, but I haven't seen it. But I'm telling you, folks, you're missing out on something. Yes, the editing's not that great. And there's a lot of bullshit in it. But man, some of the gold is perfect. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange artifact of its time. That's for sure. Like if you really want to window into like kind of what the early, early 90s, as we were kind of figuring out what the 90s were, that's what this is. <laughs> it's a nice like a study of uh, human the human condition at this time as we were adapting to a new pop culture. I think so. Yeah, America was the lone superpower at that time. We just had the breakup of the Soviet Union. Um, it, the ski outfits were spot on for the early '90s because that's exactly what we looked like when we'd go out there—not to Aspen, but uh, to Colorado. This movie, I've only seen it a couple times, but it's growing on me. Yeah, there's something about the ridiculousness of this, and I I do understand why it's a cult hit in Aspen and in certain parts of Europe that just love this movie and it's it's like a really slow moving cult movie like it's not like it's huge picked up steam like anything because i remember when like 10 years ago when troll 2 exploded everyone was just like oh my god you gotta see it this one's much slower kind of like a glacier (laughs) movement but it's there there are a lot of people that love this film yeah this is like one i could see too if like you grew up with it if this was one that you rented a lot from the video store, I could see somebody really hanging on to it. You know what I mean? Like somebody, if you saw this when you were like 10 years old and it, when it first came out on video, I could see you kind of, you know, carrying it into your 30s and 40s being like, man, this is just one that I just loved as a kid. Yeah. And this was a time period where drama sports movies were coming out, you know, like Field of Dreams for baseball. Obviously, a lot of these movies I'm going to name are not as, you know, as popular as Field of Dreams. But, you know, we had Aspen Extreme for the skiers. We had the cutting edge for the ice skaters. You know, like a lot of these movies were coming out, probably riding the coattails of other sports dramas. I mean, Rocky, when it first started and everything like they're just searching for something. But there was a fad in the 80s and early 90s and actually going farther along of ski movies. But most of them were comedies like Ski School or Ski Patrol or Snowboard Academy, you know, that came out and that that one's got Ernest in it there. Uh, But there was a lot of like weird skiing movies that just came out. And I completely forgot about them until I did some research for this. You know, one thing I just thought about, too, was. This was a time when pretty much all the ski resorts back then were independent of each other. There wasn't like these mass corporate owned, I guess, uh, conglomerates out there in uh, Colorado and Utah and whatnot. And this kind of started the wave. I'd say maybe this movie is the beginning of the wave of the just consolidation of all the ski resorts out there throughout the Western United States. And Yeah, I think too, like having sort of all these movies that like that you mentioned steve coming out advertising sort of the fun of skiing you know in these in comedies and then like this is still showing skiing positively even though the movie is a little bit more of a drama but like i think that this is sort of solidified like aspen and ski culture almost the same way like you think of like spring break or like daytona beach type you know like where it's like this is the place you go to kind of escape and it's like the vacation thing like if you were a family going on vacation in 1992 one of the things probably brought up was skiing you know what i mean like these kind of movies sort of solidified skiing in culture as like uh you know a destination 
in the same way that yeah like a spring break daytona beach was for like that season yeah i I mean that's kind of like what i'd always think that you'd be doing with these because it's kind of like a vacation for them all but i mean when this movie does show you like all these rich snooty people and how there can be drama i i do get it and i do understand how the writer and director here kind of like patrick hasbro like used his life experiences as a skier to like write this movie and of course our main character is a skier looking to become a writer so he's just reflecting himself now i'm sure he made himself a lot more attractive by casting this guy but hey you know if you write a movie and you get a studio to make it you're allowed to do that i'm cool with that and you you know what makes your lead more attractive Having your co-lead be Peter Berg. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because, you know, Peter Berg is so he's not the typical goofy guy, but he plays it well uh, and he's got a little bit of charm to his goof. But what I thought was interesting was the actor next to him. You know, he isn't your Tom Cruise, but he's also good looking. Do you know what I mean? Like he he wasn't quite who I think you'd cast, but he worked He's like good looking, but it is almost like Peter Berg is more compelling. You know, like it's like you've got like the pretty boy over here, but it is like you're you're more a little bit invested in Peter Berg's story and stuff like that, because, you know, maybe because he's more relatable or whatever. Yeah, 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 I feel like you're more tuned in on sidekick than you are pretty boy. Yeah, I definitely (laughs) found myself rooting for him at certain times in the movie. We're like, come on, man, don't do that. Yeah, Dexter, please don't be. Oh, you're dumb again. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So. All right. Before we pop this tape in, just like when Brad and I reviewed Top Gun, I got a little free bird. Did you hear that, Brad? Oh, missing that. Missing some free bird. Some nice Chicago IPA here. Let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. Okay, our first trailer here is a teaser trailer alive. Do you guys remember this? I remember how Kathleen Kennedy ruined Star Wars. <laughs> well, wh- well, how does that relate to alive? <laughs> Boo, disagree. <laughs> uh, yeah, because her husband, Frank Marshall, directed it and she produced it and she wrote it or helped write it. I never heard of this. I never heard of alive. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't heard of Alive from 93. Yeah, I never heard of it. I definitely have never seen it. And it's got a decent, like Ethan Hawke's in it. It's got a decent cast. You know, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, some names behind it. Looks really polished, you know. But for whatever reason, this one totally escaped me. Didn't even know it was a thing. But I mean, I know that like the 90s into the 2000s was absolutely the mountain climbing uh, movie uh, genre thriving with cliffhanger and vertical limit and all those. So it makes sense that this uh, came out in 93. Now, Brad, you mentioned how Kathleen Kennedy ruined Star Wars. Do you think Kathleen Kennedy is making a live hard to watch on streaming just to be vindictive towards Matt? It's a long, complicated question, but what do you think? You know, this podcast does pull a lot of weight. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't put a pastor. I think it's I think that's what it is. Even though he likes Star Wars, so it wouldn't make any sense, this whole scenario I've created. But hey, you know what? It's staying in the podcast. Keeping it. George Lucas ruined Star Wars himself before anybody else could do it. (laughs) (laughs) Can't argue that. Uh, Except some idiots on the internet. The prequels were actually pretty good. I think the point actors at Disney ruined the sequel trilogy. They let the Mandalorian come out, and uh, I'm right there back. I'm like, okay, 
I'll watch whatever you got. Yeah, it didn't take much to yeah, it didn't take much to get me I was back. Like, yeah, on board. Star Wars still cool, even though like I didn't like a lot of some stuff you guys did. Still cool. That's the that's the ultimate anchor right there. Star Wars will always be cool because you can just new movie, new TV series, forget the old ones. And I've and I've liked most of them, so <laughs> yeah, I know. But at least we have the indoor, you know, movies with all the Ewoks because those are the TV films that really save Star Wars. That's right. If with without those, we wouldn't even have the lunchbox, the prequels. And, uh, I mean, I mean the, yeah, the franchise ability of Th- it. that was really the bridge that got us from the seventies, eighties to the nineties. You know, new ones. So that those indoor movies. The battle for Endor. That's what got us there. I know. I keep saying Endor movies, and but my brain's just like, I think you mean Ewok. Shut up, Braid. It's all the same. Just the cutest little cannibals <laughs> you've ever seen. All right. Second movie was, I don't know, something about a bridge. What was it, guys? Crossing the Bridge? Crossing the Bridge, yes. This has got an awesome soundtrack. Yeah, it's got a lot of like 90s uh, trailer music, I would say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to the extreme, we've got CCR, Jackson Brown, Elton John, Tony Bennett, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Seger, all for a movie that's about some, I guess, some lovable human or drug traffickers. Yeah, it looks like drug smugglers uh, crossing the border, stumble, stumbling into the drug trade, it seems like. Uh, I, I follow these affable fuckers into some drug trading. It looks like uh, if this were easily accessible on a streamer, I would watch this movie. I would. I This one looks good to me. Also never heard of it, though, before seeing this trailer. But then again, I had never heard of Aspen Extreme until you told me that I needed to watch it. I just vaguely remembered the poster. <laughs> You're welcome. One thing I noticed about this trailer, I took the note down here, is like, these guys are going to get caught because they're just openly talking about committing felonies way too much. Yeah, every diner in town, they seem to be sitting in and just being like, should we do this? (laughs) Let's ask the waitress and get her opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Like, man, these these guys are some terrible criminals. Oh, it also stars our old friend Jason Gedrick from Iron Eagle. Oh, man. Yeah, that movie needs to be watched then. That right there, sold. Okay, I'm going to go talk to Kathleen Kennedy. We got some pull. We'll get it on. I'll just tell him that Matt is a really huge Star Wars fan. He thinks that, you know, you turned around the franchise and did everything right. I mean, saved it from Lucas, so. (laughs) Or Lucas saved it from Lucas. Uh, (laughs) I'll just sell it. Can't ruin it now. (laughs) But yeah, no, I want to, I would see both of these movies. I would see Alive and Crossing the Bridge. These, These were like good previews to put on this tape because... I'm interested, like mission accomplished. You literally got me. <laughs> you marketed it well. Kind of weird movies to maybe put with this. It was just sort of like Disney was like, well, what dramas do we have laying around right now? But like, nevertheless, it worked. You know, the hook worked. These were two good movies to put in front of this movie because I would like to see these. Yeah, I do like how that one, this one had a, both of them had a little bit of Oscar bait in them. You could see. I don't know if Crossing the Bridge, you know, is that coming of age drug trafficking movie would be Oscar, you know, bait. But I I feel it. You know what I mean? Like when I watched the trailer, I was like, "Eh, I see what you're trying to do. It's like serious, independent acting here. Yeah, it's like if it's not an awards bait movie, it's like a Sundancey kind of movie or something. Yeah, but I love those things in the early 90s. So, yeah, I'm in. Tickets sold. (laughs) All right. We're on to our feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. Wow, guys. I don't know if you guys know this, but this movie started in Detroit. Did you guys pick that up on that giant montage? Oh, I got it. 
There's a lot of car assemblage happening there in those opening. The the before the credits broke for some, for a long bit of dialogue, and then they started again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I love how he pins you know his failures on his table, and I get it. Maybe it's to inspire himself, but when you actually hear him start to talk and how he's kind of like a little bit down about his life at the time, I was like, maybe pinning your failures that Esquire's not gonna take your. Uh, article maybe isn't the best I, I don't know that's how i felt i just feel like people in detroit seem depressed and maybe that's because everything that i watch from detroit is depressing and also this guy expected to become like a super famous writer like overnight it's like uh dude you gotta get rejected a couple times but you don't just you don't just become like an overnight sensation even some books that have sold like millions of copies have been rejected 40 times before someone published them so yeah, you just got to stick it out. But he's like, Esquire didn't take my article, so I'm a failure as a writer. And it's like, God, you got to keep trying. And I got to go mope around <laughs> in my pre-Columbine duster, because this is still cool at this time until Columbine. And I was like, ooh, that duster would not work in like eight years. Oh, like 93. I think Columbine was 97 or 8. We've gone through this, and I can never remember. But li it's literally like this guy is like, the solution to my problems is to move to Aspen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. I love how he goes. The leap here, too, goes, well, it's not working out as a writer. I guess I'll become a professional skier. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, come, you know, when they, they ski, you know, they're probably good skiers for their little hills out there in Michigan, you know, but. It's a big step up going to the mountains of Colorado. I mean, that's kind of like one of my first logic leaps that makes me laugh is like, so you're on this one hill and you're telling me you grew up as a kid on this one hill and then you move to Aspen and you're like better than everyone else and basically could be the Olympics. Yeah, I don't know. At least with baseball movies, when like the little kid, you know, when the guy from nowhere comes up and like hits home runs in the majors, you're like, yeah, but we're all playing the same on the same field. He's not being he's not grown up on the same field, so to speak. These people in Aspen and Colorado and other places in Europe that come to Aspen, they live on mountains. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this guy's like big fish, little pond scenario. But then he's like, yeah, I'll go to the the big pond now and I'll stand out. And it like it does work out for him. But like the, the example then is like Peter Berg. It does not work out as well for him. It's true. Uh, so let's um, play a little clip of kind of like what type of friendship these guys got and uh, why they're leaving. What's the point? The point is you're, you're making five bucks an hour working on 200 feet of landfill. I got my name on the list at the boundary. Oh, God. What? Well, is that all you want out of life? No, it's not all I want. You know, I mean, I got, I got plans, but what are they? TJ, I got my wants, you know what I'm saying? I got, I got things that I'm going to do. What things? Things. What are your plans, Dex? Why are you doing this to me? Because I'm going to leave. Uh-oh. You got to go with him. Got to go with him, Dexter. Uh, I also love that I'm so used to planes here in Chicago going over. I just heard a plane in that audio clip. Did you guys hear that? Oh, yeah. I'm so used to it here that pulling this audio. I just finally heard it for the first time. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I really didn't even pay any mind to it whatsoever. Well, yeah, because you're used to it, too. <laughs> like anytime people visit that have never been to Chicago, visit me up here and they're like, Jesus, are these planes always this loud? And I'm like, oh, I don't even know. So one came over. <laughs> what planes? <laughs> oh, it was kind of like back home in Missouri. We lived right by railroad tracks, had no clue how loud it was until someone's just like, Jesus, 
this is ridiculous. Huh? What? What's ridiculous? Uh, I basically walk through life hearing nothing, apparently. Yeah, it's funny, like, how much it blends in. But I guess it would be, like, accurate for Detroit, right? Like, that's kind of a big metropolitan area. So it would have a point. I don't think it's, like, a movie mistake, you know? Like, I feel like that's kind of a conscious thing. They're talking on, like, the top of something. They're talking on, like, the top of the hill. So you, I guess you would hear I'll be 100% happen. honest with you. Everything I know about Detroit is from movies, mostly Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, I've been I've only been once. So I <laughs> I and I have very vague memories of it. So I was like, where's the RoboCop statue? And they didn't do it yet when I was there. So <laughs> I was going to say I was going to say my yeah, my only like familiarity with Detroit is through RoboCop. So I don't Yeah. really know what it's like there. <laughs> A futuristic world of hell. Yep, that's that's the Detroit. It's kind of like just Detroit, I guess in my mind cuz I only know it from movies. There's someone listening from Detroit. They're like, actually, we have a couple. Par- OK, it's bad. Shit. You know, I don't know. Sorry, Detroit listeners. I like your state. No, I'll say that. I do. I, I like, like Michigan. <laughs> never been to Detroit. Uh, yeah. So we get into a car ride, you know, kind of, uh, you know, a lot like Dumb and Dumber. And we're going to Colorado. Uh, and then we arrive in Aspen. And there's something about these guys just have the confidence just oozing with it i mean dexter's a little bit of the stupid confidence but still oozing with confidence they just walk up in a van and they're like yeah we're gonna you know be ski instructors there's a couple hundred of you out here and they only take five yeah we're so good we'll make them take six well i just love the tryout they line them all up like a hundred of them and they have them go down these torn up moguls and just this giant crowd of people cutting each other off and it's like if you're still upright Welcome to tryouts or something like that. Yeah, it looks like one guy broke his leg the way he landed. I was like, oh, that that does not look right because I know a lot of these skiers that they filmed. And I will say all the skiers, the skiing montage, everything like that, they're filmed really, really well. So they got one hell of a crew together. But I'm just saying a couple of these that had some wrecks, those looked 100 percent real. And I'm worried. Yeah, this reminded me of those those ski tapes that I think we've had trailers for uh, throughout the duration of this podcast. Uh, the ski tapes that they would advertise where it'd be like, it's always like the guy's name, so-and-so's extreme skiing, you know? And then it's like a bunch of footage of people doing crazy tricks off of, you know, crazy dangerous hills or whatever, but filmed really well. So that's like what it reminded me of. It reminded me of like those... Uh, ski mixtapes well, according to this vhs it's two friends looking for adventure discover extreme skiing wealth and seduction so i mean yeah i think you're right i think all of that makes sense did you guys also notice that when they showed up in aspen like none of the streets were plowed like that's unusual for a ski town like aspen especially uh the only thing i know about aspen is from this movie <laughs> i assume it's exactly like this to this day it's still in a time capsule i walk up there everyone's in like bright neon skiing suits it's like hot tub time machine when you walk up to the the ski resort and you just immediately travel back into yeah. the 80s. I mean, that's what I hope Aspen's like. Again, this is kind of like <laughs> the Detroit thing. I mean, I love your state. Colorado is amazing. And I've been. I've never been to Aspen. though. <laughs> yeah, I've, never, I've been to Telluride, but I've never been to Aspen. So I've also never skied before in my entire life. So all of this is for. All right. Well, me. I got you beat on that. I've, I've skied before. Uh, I just get really frustrated because for some reason in my head, I always thought I should have been better and I wasn't. (laughs) This makes no sense. 
I grew up in Missouri. Why am I not an awesome skier? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things like just wait until you're 40 to learn how to ski and then it will be like yeah. awesome. I, I would avoid those like little bouncy hills. Oh, what are they called? I, I can't remember. Like where they're sitting there like bouncing up oh. and down. It looks incredibly harsh on your joints. Oh, those moguls. Yeah. Um, like our friend Matt, he can just crush those. He's awesome at those. I have trouble with those. Um, and I didn't start skiing until I was like about about the time Aspen Extreme came out, or a little bit before then. Well, I mean, we were all inspired, except Matt. I'm surprised. I mean, I, I was a little worried that Matt wouldn't show up for the podcast today because he'd be on a plane going to Aspen. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my knowledge of the slopes is like the Chicago Park District hills <laughs> that I would take my little plastic sled down and fall off of because I'm not coordinated that way either. Um, that was my my experience don't try a snowboard then i mean for me personally i think snowboarding is insanely hard skiing is a lot easier well i have a lot of coordination problems so it's probably for the best that i don't put any of those things on my feet (laughs) i'm i'm good enough on land i think you know what we all can be excited about meeting bryce she's coming over here teach she is isn't she she's coming over here say something i don't speak american express tell her anything tell her you won the olympics it wasn't in the olympics uh, excuse me, my, my friend here was, was not in the Olympics. No? No. Why not? Because I won $50 in a bowling tournament. I lost my amateur status. Okay, there's a reason why I played that. Is that a joke or is he for real? Don't know. And I think that is one of the great mysteries of the film. I, I, I think I sat around and thought about that for a good 10 minutes. I was like, wait a minute. Is wait was he really almost going to be in the Olympics? But the bowling is that a thing in the Olympics? And I'm like way too much thought into that. So I was like, maybe my two friends here on the podcast can help me. It sounds legit enough. <laughs> to be honest, Steve, that completely uh, that went over my head completely. I just was writing a note at that point where I thought Bryce was basically, or initially, it kind of pegged her as like an evil Kelly McGillis from Top Gun. But uh, as the movie goes on, it's like she's not evil. She just maybe a little bit aloof of an elitist and everything, but she's not evil. Yeah, I don't think she wants to destroy anyone evil, but she's definitely. No, she's just horny. She just wants to hook up with the young, hot, new ski thing. And she's got all the money in the world to do it. Yeah, and I have no idea what she does. Uh, I mean, I don't even think the movie explains it. At one time, she's like, well, someone's got to make money in this family. And I'm like, and. <laughs> just involves having a lot of phones a butler and yeah a big a big ski house i'm intimately familiar with finola hughes because she is the mom on charmed and you know i've talked many times about how i've gone through the series of charmed or whatever so it was good to see finola in this however her hair was atrocious in this movie <laughs> <laughs> it went all the way to her butt <laughs> like i mean past her butt i think from like almost like a mullet like a lady mullet in the front and then all the way down her back and i was like oh so- something just needs to change here <laughs> well it, it seems like the 80s had the massive hair you know what i mean and then like there must have been a time period during the early 90s and mid 90s that i kind of blocked out of my head where they're like let's not go big but let's go really long and because because even, you know, Robin, her look at her hair in that, too. It's like a really long, kind of biggish, but mostly long. And I'm like, was this something? Yeah, a lot of hair. 
a lot of hair in the early 90s. Like, I remember the ridiculous jeans that are all pulled up and everything that have come back. I remember that, okay? I remember the neon colors and everything like that, but I do not remember the super long hair. Yeah, this was, I, I was like, I kind of like laughed out loud when I saw her haircut. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, and then even speaking of the phone scene that we were talking about, which is like, don't answer my phones and everything. The outfits she wears. The one that looks like a titty cast where it's just like. <laughs> like, it's like, a t- I don't even know what it is. It's like a bra shirt and she's also going to ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought honestly like the person who was coming up with all of her outfits and everything were like playing a joke on the film but it also makes the film awesome like I just her outfits are so memorable but not for a good reason but it's also for an <laughs> awesome reason <laughs> I know I found it very endearing like we're gonna watch this when I go skiing at the end of end of January my friend Matt who it got this got me on this movie and I mean that's gonna be something that's gonna be talked about I promise you oh yeah I mean <laughs> just love it I, I dare one of you guys to wear that shirt when you go skiing and watch this <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> would be kicked out of Colorado um <laughs> yeah so they make the team actually dexter kind of doesn't but then tj basically forces him on but i do love how tj writes his name under the printed copy that they posted like that oh, was yeah. going to work <laughs> that is such a high school thing to do but he did get him on yeah it's like your your grades have been posted outside of the class or whatever and somebody just writes something in so I guess TJ was such he was such so much a better of a hire than anyone else of the hundred other people that applied that he can go in there and someone who's not worked a day can demand his friend get hired. And Carl, what was his name? Carl Stahl didn't just kick him out of his office and say, like, OK, I'll just hire someone else then. No, because he knew he was going to be on a poster one day. Uh, yeah. And by the way, when I first saw the boss in this, when I watched this with you, Brad, because we watched this all together back in Omaha when Matt got us hooked on this uh, other Matt we'll call him skiing Matt got us hooked on this ski Matt, and yeah. um, <laughs> I mean I thought he was going to be the bad guy in this and I'm like oh it's going to be an evil boss that just does bad things to him and like uses him and abuses him no actually Carl's kind of just like a really fair boss like I understand his point of view yeah at first I thought he was like an arrogant German kind of guy but yeah then he is like very fair yeah He's just a, a a touch of a hothead. That's about it. Like, but he's not even like he doesn't even really like explode. But he's like a li- you know a little bit aggro sometimes. But that yeah, not a bad guy. Like he's just doing his but job. But I do wonder if he's you know dealing with all these machismo skiers apparently that are like total brood you know bro dudes. He's just like tired of it. He's like I've been doing this for years. Shut up, kid. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think I literally think that is his attitude. <laughs> I literally think that's it. Uh, no, it's it's funny how like I kind of like related to him and I've never been in his position at all. I was just like, I understand, Carl. I get it. <laughs> They're a bit much, aren't they? Uh, so, yeah, then they, you know, these are two idiots who just come to Colorado and then like, oh, we'll sleep in the van until we find a place. Just go to a radio station. Uh, luckily has Robin in there who's really nice and they meet her. So that's when one of the other main characters, Terry polo plays is robin and she's she was born in aspen she's used to all these skiers she doesn't date them she doesn't date ski instructors and you know she's she's a pretty good character in this even though sometimes she drops off 
and then comes back and then kind of drops off and then kind of comes back. So she's kind of on a little bit of a roller coaster when it comes to dating DJ, uh, TJ. We can kind of get gauged through glimpses of TJ and Robin's relationships. The strange and very long passage of time that is happening throughout this film. Yeah, we talked about this before we got on and we don't really know how long this film is because Matt brought up that they they say at one point or Dexter says at one point we've been here two years. Right. But there's only one giant passage of time through an off season. So I'm like, wait, this is only supposed to be one year and like two seasons that they're ski instructors. So we're going to let Brad right. <laughs> break the tie. What's going on here, Brad? I, I thought it was only one year. That just must have been a, a typo in the script. And they just said, screw it. We're just going to go with it. Dexter's actually so stupid that they, he just said that. <laughs> Peter Berg is that smart. He's like, Dexter would think this is two years. <laughs> yeah. You know, and back to Robin, I would say the first thing that struck, to me, struck, struck me about her was that she just seemed to be like wise beyond her years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she seems to be a wise character, at least. And I guess she would be like, what would be like the, what would we call that, the moral center of this movie? Oh, yeah, she's definitely the moral center, yeah. She absolutely is. She doesn't, like, have, like, a ton to do, but, like, also at the same time, she is, like, relevant enough, you know? Like, she, she isn't just, like, the girlfriend or or just, like, the voice of reason or whatever. She does have some things to do. I mean, she basically it comes in and saves dexter's life at one point a lot of the time we visit her she's she is just at like the radio station and stuff like that we really don't see a lot of her like i guess day to day so she isn't like yeah she doesn't have like a ton ton to do here no no except to come in and like be like yeah give wise words to these boys (laughs) yeah i mean then we you know kind of like go through a bunch of like stereotypical scenes that we see in movies you know we get a snooty waiter at a fancy restaurant uh, we get two poor people trying to pay for a really expensive meal. That kind of seems stereotypical. And then we get poor people at a rich person's party, you know, where people are kind of laughing at oh, them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we get a lot of these stereotypical scenes. Yeah, there's, I remember that one guy was like, oh, a pension. Isn't it at the party where uh, Dexter meets uh, the lady with no eyes and only bangs? Uh- <laughs> oh, Tina, the sociopath. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what she was. That was bad news for Dexter. She introduces Dexter to the drug dealer. See, because what ends up happening is Dexter gets suspended. And actually, I got that clip right here. I just think it's funny how he compares skiing and uh curing not curing cancer becky where's your student uh last time i saw him he was running stop sign on south aspen street did he get hurt no he's fine he called me from the hotel jerome bars do you think this is funny relax we're not curing cancer here we're teaching people how to slide down hills with sticks on their feet See, I think that's why Dexter's so likable by a lot of people. I mean, just how he handles that entire scene. I was like, yeah, he's funny. He's relatable. He's a jerk, but he's the everyman. He's a blue collar <laughs> everyman, man. Come on. Why are you taking this so serious? But he ends up getting suspended, which he then hooks up with a drug dealer to deliver drugs. But he goes absolutely insane in a bar, dumps the drugs and then later on, we get a little Dexter ding dong. 
I was going to point that out, but you beat me to it. This has got some tasteful uh, lady butt. This has got some tasteful side boob. And then we got some cold ding dong. There was one point where, uh, I guess now I guess is the best time to talk about it. There was one point where TJ was in the shower and it was on his butt. And it was so steamed over and stuff, I couldn't tell who it was. So I thought it was... Uh, what's her name? Finola, the, I the character's name. I thought it was her in there, and then she, and then he steps out, and I was like, "Wow, that was weird!" Like my brain, like totally tricked me. He's got a great butt. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, and that whole scene is weird too, where he's like just turned into a zombie. Because what happens in this story is Bryce disappears. We don't know how long. We don't even know why she left. But then TJ falls for Robin. Then we have, you know, a time lapse and then Bryce comes right back and he immediately just goes, well, you know, you've rented me for the day as a ski instructor. I guess I have to sleep with you. And I'm just completely blown away. But I'm like, did he literally just cheat on Robin after like seeing this woman back for one day? Can we go back to the first time he asked out Robin, though, and her response? Oh, I can't remember because I know she's he said something like you want to get a beer. He asked her out, and she goes, I stopped dating ski instructors when I was 16. I stopped dating ski instructors when I was 16. Oh, man. Ski instructors got to be all in their 20s. How messed up is that? Like, where were her parents? I mean, did she have parents? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think Robin has suffered, in this point, our character Robin, by the end of this movie, in her life, has suffered some tremendous trauma. I bet you're right, because that's why she's probably, like, so abrasive with getting Dexter out of rock bottom. Well, yeah, if you're a, and if you're a 15 year old dating, probably a 30 year old ski instructor, that'll, that'll do things to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. This is going down a dark path at Robin's <laughs> like Robin's <laughs> origin. Yuck. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on in this film and we're kind of bouncing back and forth because mostly this is just trying to figure this film out. And I, I am telling you right now, this movie is just as crazy as we're describing it. But I don't think they were trying to make a crazy movie. Do you know what I mean? No, it's so like normal. It's very like gentle. It is totally like a kind of like, you know, this kind of Disney. I know it's not Disney Disney, but you know what I mean? This kind of like it's well made. It's you know, polished. It's going through the motions of the story. But yeah, it's just making some weird choices along the way. Weird, strong choices along the way. And it is what a, what is otherwise like a fairly gentle skiing movie on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And Dexter, you know, Dexter only got suspended for two weeks, man. You talk about a guy who unraveled <laughs> yeah, quickly and just inside of two weeks. I mean, he goes from like ski instructor to like dealing drugs and like running naked down a street. In the yeah, and they're the going to kill him. And then Bryce bails him out. And that's how TJ ends up. I don't know, a love zombie slave. I don't know what's happening in that relationship. Thanks to TJ's boning. I mean, he saves Dexter's life there. But then he comes back to Dexter. He's like, you're a loser, man. I can't live here with you. What's wrong with you? I'm just going to leave you. And Dexter just Dexter is easily influenced and easily uh, affected by everything. He's just not a very smart man. I mean, (laughs) this is a tale about an idiot following someone else's dreams and then like getting stuck in the avalanche (laughs) just dying and getting super into cocaine along the way (laughs) like when he's just sitting there alone and he's all sad and they're playing the music and he's watching ping pong 
and this completely caught me off guard. He just leans down, snorts a line, and I was like, what? <laughs> I guess he's picked that up recently. <laughs> there, there's no ease into that scene. It's just like zero to no. 60. And now he does coke. You're like, oh, okay. I guess he got, <laughs> you know, what would be funny is if he lied how much he actually owed on it and then got 10,000. He goes, oh, I got 2,000 left over. I guess I'll just buy coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That might actually be exactly what happened, because how did he get all that? That was my thing, too. I was like, did he save some of it? Because we see him dump the whole thing. And what idiot is about to do a drug switcheroo with a bag? And he decides to chain smoke cigarettes and get loaded at the bar before noon. Not to mention, from what I've heard, back at Aspen in those days, like you could drive a car down main street and get into an accident and have cocaine spilling out the sides. And like, no one's going to come arrest you. Yeah, it's just a bunch of rich people. And they're like, well, th- finally our delivery's here. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, the Coke is here. Yay. Someone help that man. Change his tire. <laughs> I know that was the time when I was like watching that. I'm like Dexter, don't do that. Like don't get wasted at 10 in the morning. I know. And then just like, he goes nuts. I mean, I do love that scene. I, I truly do. Uh, it makes it really sells how insane this story is going to go. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like the epic insanity. But you know what? You know, they do make up <laughs> and they're like, you know what? We're going to win this whole powder, powder eight. And, uh, you know, we've seen them train for it in the past, like where Dexter saves they, his yeah, life. Yeah, when Dexter saved TJ's life. Yeah. That's why you shouldn't ski out of bounds. But they're doing it again. And then they got caught in an avalanche and Dexter dies, just like Goose. And the Seattle Times is right. This is Top Gun on the ski slopes. Yeah, this is like one of the like connections that obviously you can make to Top Gun. But like, I just I, I don't fully see the Top Gun connection. <laughs> you know, yeah, Matt, I was trying to make Top Gun connections throughout this whole movie. And I just that's, I couldn't make a whole lot of them. I was like trying to compare like Merlin, Kelly McGillis, you know, Charlie Viper you know, Iceman, and they just don't, it's not. This is the only one where he kills his friend based on his own recklessness, but. Yeah, that's like the deepest connection, I feel like. Because <laughs> this isn't even like an action movie, which I know Top Gun is probably like 50-50, but like, this is like, it's a drama, comedy, romance. I don't know. The skiing isn't like particularly, it doesn't carry like the same weight that like the the aerial stuff in Top Gun does. So I don't, yeah. The the comparison is I I get it in little parts, but I don't get the whole thing overall. It's it's it, but it's funny. It like it adds to the mystique of it. I well, guess. at the end when they're done with the the powder eight, they defeat the evil Russians. So, right, that happened in this. I thought he was German because he was like remember he was taunting. No, he was like, I, TJ I know. gets back to the lodge like Franz like starts. Taunting but I was him. like making the comparison. Like I just completely made up a portion oh. of it that they fought evil Russians. Just just trying <laughs> yeah. to stretch it. Just trying to stretch it to the point. Uh, <laughs> but I do like how he gets just like Top Gun. He gets a new guy. But at least with Top yeah. Gun, you're like, oh, OK, well, you know, it's a, a co-pilot. Uh, I understand that this guy's been training in the Top Gun schools, So I understand that, you know, this would make sense. And this one, Todd just shows up and just goes, yeah, I'm really good at skiing. You want to do this? OK. Yeah. Todd Pound, ski instructor and adult entertainer. And according to the description that I read on Wikipedia, he is an Olymp- uh, an Olympic hopeful. I didn't get that in this. I just he's like, he's a really good ski instructor. And uh, yeah, TJ just goes, whatever I do, follow me. 
And he does, and they go off course, which I thought was illegal. And the dad from Boy Meets World points out, you know, he's just like, they're going off course. <laughs> like everyone's just like, yeah, this is fine. ESPN goes, yeah, it's great. Let's uh, record all of it. Uh, spend all the money on the helicopter to follow him. And then they win. And I was like, uh. You would be immediately disqualified. Everybody would be like, you did a great job, but you are immediately disqualified because you did not follow the rules. <laughs> but not only did they win, but the boss, the, the Carl Stahl, the boss of both Franz and TJ, like basically handed the, the award over to TJ and just totally alienated himself from Franz in the process. Yeah. I mean, what this reminds me of is like if a star running back or wide receiver or whatever in the NFL makes like every player on the defense miss scores a game winning touchdown. But the referee goes, yeah, but you stepped out of bounds on the 20. So none of that counts. You know, like it's just like, yeah, it looks great. None of this counts. But, you know, apparently this movie goes, no, man, in the powder eight, everything counts. I just I just thought this was wacky. And and like, yeah, then the the, the boss is like, Two tens. You get two tens. It's like it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Again, this is if the star scores a touchdown and they're like, not only do you get the six points, but we're giving you an additional five because we can. Because we like you. <laughs> what? It's just, okay. I love it. Before all this, he kind of dump, he dumps Bryce, which is kind of a jerk move. You know, I guess she was kind of indifferent that Dexter died, but you know, she did bail him out the first time and helped him immensely on his writing career, took him to the library or the bookstore or whatever, and kind of gave him a bunch of pointers and hooked him up with some people in the industry. And then he's just like, OK, see you later. Well, I mean, after this, does she go back to France? I don't know what she does. No, she's going she's going to go away for the next next hot thing to come along. It's not going to be Todd because Todd has a lady. We see her at the end. So she's going to go after probably whoever's next, whoever, whoever else is new. Just Keanu Reeves walks up and is like, yeah. I want to be a scare. There it is. Aspen Extreme 2. Give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's got to be him as Bill and Ted, you know, like the Bill and Ted voice. Wow. (laughs) Skiing looks fun. I think I can do this. (laughs) Yeah, I would watch the shit out of that movie, especially if it came out in, yeah, like 95 or something like that. Ted Theodore (laughs) Roosevelt wins the Powder 8. Whoa, man. So I, I wrote a note at the end of this. I was like, so the lesson here, kids, is be reckless, selfish, and irresponsible. Life will reward you as long as you're attractive. Yeah. Yeah, everything will come falling into your lap. Do you need a partner? Oh, look, your girl, your ex-girlfriend's coming back to you. Like, everything will just work out. <laughs> yeah, and him, him and TJ, or Robin and TJ get back together again, too. And it's like, apparently she has no better options. Like, is she just, she's like so smart in some ways, but then she just has bad judgment sometimes, too. And it's like. Well, it seems like she has good and... It's that five-star smile. It's that five-star smile of TJ. It's that Photoshop <laughs> face on that poster that they made of him. I love it. You can totally tell if you look at it. You're like, wow, they just took like a picture from a magazine and put his face on it and, and kind of didn't quite match the size. I mean, if you guys pause and look at that, I was like, I don't think that looks appropriate. But who cares? <laughs> Okay, so before we get into the recommendations, I said I was going to ask you guys a question, and I really want to know what you think. Who is the antagonist in this film? Is it A, the mountain? Is it B, Bryce? Is it C, Franz? Is it D, TJ? Or is it E, 
all of the above. I mean, obviously, I think it's it's all of the above at a certain. It floats through the different <laughs> antagonists, like when they're when they fall through the thing, and like when there's an avalanche, it's the mountain. When when uh, he's living his sort of zombie life with Bryce, that then it's Bryce. But she's not ultimately like bad though. She's just rich, which fuck her. Take down the weeks. Um, but like, and Franz is absolutely the antagonist, but only for like the last like fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah, and I would add, I would throw in there too. Yeah, the elites exploiting the working class would be, you know. But yeah, like Matt said, it's like transitory through the through the movie here. It's like it just it shifts from one antagonist to another. At one point, it's just the cocaine that's like <laughs> that Dexter is doing, you know, like it just floats through them all. I truly think the worst antagonist of all of them is TJ. I think he is an absolutely horrible friend and kind of a shitty person. I mean, he, he's just cruising on his, his looks and talent. So I was like, OK, a lot of people do that. But there's so many points in this. Where you're like, oh man. Yeah, I mean, he's a tor- he's a horny dude, but show me a dude who's 25 with options who doesn't show bad judgment at times. That's what I'm saying. He's talented and good looking, so he's just going to do all this. But at the end of the day, Robin is now falling for this d bag. I mean, I'm a, I think he's a complete d bag. His like friend, he drags his friend on this story because he he can't be alone. By the way, that's another thing about TJ. He bounces from person to person. He bounces from Dexter and then he bounces to Bryce. Then he goes to Robin. Then he goes, then he completely dumps, you know, Dexter. Then he goes back to Bryce and then he goes back to Dexter and then he ends with Robin. This dude just can't be on his own. He's like a vortex. He's yeah. He's just like you spitting people out, you know, chewing them up and spitting them out. Yeah. So I think he's the worst of all of them because the mountain can't help what it is. It's not the mountain's fault. And really, Franz is just a dick, but I, you know, he's he's German. So I mean, they get they get, <laughs> they're kind of all yeah. It's wherever Franz TJ can... goes, drama follows. That's right. It's true. And I don't it's think true. Bryce is a bad person either. I truly think TJ's the worst because he he could change. I think Franz is pretty bad though. Like he is, he isn't like he he doesn't like do anything to like harm anybody, but he is straight up making fun of that dude's dead. That's true. At the end, like yeah. hardcore, <laughs> yeah, and it's like you're pretty big of an asshole. Like if you're doing that, like that guy. Just he's died. also giving him <laughs> shit at the locker. He's just like maybe next time you check the you know avalanche report, and I was like, there's an avalanche report. Is that real? And why are you saying that to him right now? Come on, Franz. You gotta be better than that. You know, Carl's been your your boss. Haven't you learned anything from Carl? That's actually Franz is the reason why Carl is so like kind of like aggro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> no, actually, I, I think in real life, yeah, Franz is definitely the worst person, but I just th- find it funny to think like, damn it, TJ. <sighs> I expect more from you, TJ. But he's, yeah, he's just perfectly aloof, has no idea what's happening around him. He's pretty and things are going to work out in the end, no matter what. <laughs> I know. I mean, Brad, you brought up a good point. You, you can do all those things as long as you're good looking and talented. It's so true. Until you can't. And then the world's going to catch up with you really fast. I mean, if you're William Russ, the dad from Boy Meets World, I mean, he just continues to be good looking. And he's like 800 years old now. Well, not the not the actor, but the character himself of TJ is probably just like fat. Oh, like, yeah, maybe 
just making Robin miserable, just useless because like he wrote his couple articles, you know, he got his ski article published or whatever. And what do you think this guy's doing like into his fifties? Oh, like yeah, at one I bet point, he's like, he's that, gonna, like, yeah. When like Bryce is like, what are you going to do when you're 40? Like, what is this guy really going to do when he's like 40? <laughs> yeah. I bet he's like some kind of local gentry there in the Aspen area at this point. Yeah. By 2021. <laughs> oh, I, I think he's totally cheating on Robin when he gets older. And then he's eventually going to be like, you know, the skiing's going to stop working out. He really can't fall back on the riding because he's just not that good. You know, he had like a moment, a time that we, he was decent. So now he's just like, you know what, Robin, I'm just going to start, you know, I'm going to do my other dream. I'm going to be an actor and really just shit the entire relationship. You know, like she's working two or three jobs to keep everything going while he's going on his, uh, you know, auditions, <laughs> spending all of her money to fly to like LA. <laughs> I, I, I just think he would be an awful husband. Yeah, I mean, not to necessarily make like just like the the worst kind of ski pun right now, but I think it's fair to say at this time in his life, he has peaked. Hey <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good segue into do we recommend this? Brad, you're the guest. What do you say? Absolutely recommend this. I mean, it's pretty simple right there. What do you think, Matt? As, yeah, uh, it needs to be about 40 minutes shorter but other than that like it's it's solid it's fun yeah i think you can watch this as a whole the first time or maybe a couple times to pick up a few things it's definitely worth watching but this is a fantastic clip movie like <laughs> i could put together like i don't know eight or nine clips people would watch this and be like what the fuck is this i've never heard of it and i'm like <laughs> yeah i know right yeah it's a movie to sit around with friends and just make comments on the whole time, just the outrageousness, make comments the whole time. Yeah, and one of the best ones that I've heard about people doing when they view this as a party is, you know, when she asks, can you swim? And he goes, like a fish. <laughs> uh, I love it. I absolutely love that. That's the clip. That's your, that's your Troll 2-esque clip that brings this movie into the uh, stratosphere of, like, cultdom. Cult yeah, medium. that right there. Everyone can scream it at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle and bring something back like Indy to our I don't know, extreme sports wing of the museum. I guess we could say we, we, we did some of those, right, Matt? We did rollerball. Yeah, there's there's a sport, a small sports wing within the museum yeah. for sure. So we'll put that in. Brad, you're the guest. I'll let you go first so we don't steal anything. I got to go back to my biggest WTF moment of the movie when TJ asks out Robin and her response is, I stopped dating ski instructors when I was 16. Yeah, when you said that, like, it like really fit in of like, whoa, that's fucked up. <laughs> that unlocks a lot of questions for sure. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Robin, but you seem like a good person now. Wise beyond her years. <laughs> Hopefully that whole thing with TJ actually works out. I don't know, though. I mean, I'm sure it was they were broke up actually after a couple of years. He probably just got bored. He seems like that guy. Yeah. 
and then just became useless. And she's like, I'm better than this. That's right. Uh, okay, uh, Matt, I'll let you go. There's there's a lot of stuff in here that probably should be in the museum uh, more than the thing I'm going to put in there. But this thing I'm going to put in there just took me so by surprise. And I mentioned how much it took me by surprise. TJ's ass. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's out of control. I mean, I guess if I was going to put TJ's ass next to anything, it might be the titty cast. But that's <laughs> about it. Like those are like my two takeaways but two big takeaways here uh because both were very surprising to me <laughs> yeah and not to be outdone that she does wear a dress when she was uh talking to tj she's like we have guests coming over and tj's like my best friend just died and she's like oh god you've been so depressing lately <laughs> she's wearing a dress in that scene that is just way over the top but nothing beats titty cast horse riding <laughs> whatever she's wearing that's that right there that kind of just needs to be like what i put as like <laughs> like the picture to represent you know like <laughs> this movie bam right there uh that her giant it. hair it's her crazy. giant hair her massive smile all of it yep the whole thing that's yeah. it's a look it's a look. <laughs> all right uh i'm gonna put in something we didn't talk about but i just think it's completely awesome is two guys going to Aspen and living in a caboose. Like, I just thought I was like, that's awesome. It's like a storybook house right there. You know what I mean? I just thought that was great. The ultimate bro pad. Yeah. And how it was also, I mean, it looked much bigger inside. I, I love when movies do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not only do you have that like postcard look on the outside, but then you walk in and it just gets bigger. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty it's it's pretty funny how that always seems to happen in movies and in his little square box that uh, fits two men and a bunch of cocaine very easily. <laughs> I wonder how long those guys are planning on staying there. <laughs> yeah, and it's so cold there. The windows are always shut. Imagine how much that place stinks. Oh, Ooh, man. yeah, it, it smells like man sweating there. Oh, and they got all their equipment. They're coming back with skiing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Better fumigate that thing. Yeah, you know those that those outfits aren't mm. getting washed, so yucky. All right, there we go. We got everything in the museum. I think it was pretty good. We got a nice little uh, man ass. We got a booby cast. Is it not quite in the museum, but I, I think we could put it in there. Honorable mention. We're doing pretty good. And then we got uh, Robin's uh, turmoil origin <laughs> that Brad brought yeah, her, her rocky beginnings. Uh, yikes. Her humble beginnings. <laughs> Something. A lot of descriptions for that. <laughs> a lot of questions. You were right. That does open a large box of questions. Yes. All right. That'll end it this week. Brad, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. And I just want to let you know, I, I got one little clip here for you. I'm afraid there isn't a lifeguard on duty. Can you swim? Like a fish. Jump in with all your clothes on. <laughs> that one's for you, bud. <laughs> greatest, greatest fucking scene. I love it. Oh, man. I think my life has been changed. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. It's always a blast. So remember to be kind. And rewind.